All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a special episode of Dropping the Gloves. We don't usually do four, Tim, but we're back. We're kind of, There's so much to talk about, so we decided let's rally the troops, Tim and I, and do another episode because, boy, oh, boy, there was a game last night, and it was a barn burner. It was very exciting. Obviously, the much-anticipated Montreal Canadiens, Vegas Golden Knights, the, the Cinderella story, Tim, honestly. The Cinderella story, Montreal Canadiens, it has not struck midnight just yet. They come out and they win in overtime. Arturi Lykanen scores, like I said, my conspiracy theory within the first five minutes. Unbelievable. They win the series. They win the game in Vegas. Or no, sorry, in Montreal. The fans are going nuts. The whole city is going insane. What did you think of the game? Just your instant reaction. How happy are you? I, I am happy because I think I, when, when you don't have a dog in the fight, you just naturally gravitate to the underdog, right? And that's the Montreal Canadiens. And that's, it's weird being a Bruins fan for life and, and rooting for them, but that's where I find myself. They're a likable team. The Cole Caulfield thing is just so much fun to watch. He scored again last night, four, game, four goals in this series. And Carey Price, so we talked about this like a month ago. Like if you could see any two players or any, any core veterans raise the cup among these remaining teams, it was Carey Price and Shea Weber. So the fact that they're going there both for the first time, and it's just really, really exciting. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, the, the other biggest thing is just seeing the tweets come in all night long last night to you and to the Drop in the Gloves account just about – <laughs> you eating crow and you being wrong and it, pretty cute series win by the Montreal Canadiens, right? You know what? I'm man enough to admit when I'm wrong and I completely misjudged. Maybe I misjudged the whole North division. Maybe, maybe I was just sleeping on them. I don't think I did because we saw who the Toronto Maple Leafs were. We saw who the Edmonton Oilers were. And I was basing my assumptions on the North division based on those two teams. They were run and gun. They were all offense and they were no defense. And then all of a sudden, Montreal Canadiens come in and say, listen, it's playoff time. We're going to transition or switch up our game a little bit and we're going to lock things down, tighten it up. And the Leafs, the Oilers and the Jets, they couldn't handle it. And obviously Vegas, they couldn't handle it either. And I would have thought coming into this series, they had a tough series in the first round versus Minnesota, who is very similar to Montreal, very, you know, very strong team. They play well. They have a good top four D decor. They don't really have any outstanding superstars. They just play a really good team game. 
They dispatched them as seven. I thought Montreal or Minnesota might win that series. And they go into Colorado. They beat Colorado handily. Obviously, I think they all played them five of the six games. And you're coming into this Montreal series. You, I, I thought they were going to have the confidence to kind of run right through them. And obviously, Montreal is a lot better than I thought they were. And they are just over. I, the, the, here's the thing. Are they over exceeding expectations? Yes, because their expectations are insanely low. They've been an underdog. I would say in every single game, they've been the under, underdog let alone every single series. So they are just blowing everybody's predictions out of the water. And here we are. They're in the Stanley Cup Finals. It's a great story. Montreal is just on fire right now. They haven't made the Cup since 1993 when they won it. That was a another Cinderella story. Patrick Waugh carried him to the Cup Finals in the win. It's very exciting to be a hockey fan in Canada right now. They haven't had much to cheer about, I think, coming into this season. We did a little discussion which teams out of the North Division could win the Stanley Cup, you know, to, to break that drought. It's been, gosh, it's almost 30 years now since they've won a Stanley Cup in Canada. And we obviously we picked Toronto. We picked Edmonton. Vancouver was in the conversation for Pete's sake. And no one ever, no one thought of Montreal. They had some good offseason moves like we talked about with Eric Ingles a few shows ago. They are really playing well, Tim. And Carey Price is having a great season, like we said, but you you pulled up an in- interesting stat after the game, and I was I was kind of blown away by the minutes that you showed. Why don't you touch on the the what you what you found? Yeah, well, watching this game and really the whole series, I was kind of just noticing like that top four defensive pairings for um for Montreal: Weber, Sherratt, Edmondson, and Petrie. It felt like they were constantly on the ice, right? And I kept forgetting like who was their fifth and sixth guys? Like you don't even see them, you don't notice them. And uh, anytime there's anything happening on the ice, it's those four guys. So we looked at this, the, the minutes played after the game. And <laughs> it was way more lopsided and loaded than he ever would have thought. So Shea Weber played 26 minutes. Sherratt played 25. Petrie played 26. And Edmondson played almost 29, right? So those guys logged some heavy, heavy minutes. Their, their bottom pairing was John Merrill, who played just under nine minutes, and Eric Gustafson, who played five and a half. And the crazy thing is, too, so, like, that's already a huge disparity. But the crazy thing, too, with Gustafson, of that five and a half, two and a half was on the power play. So, the, he played three minutes of even strength play last night. So, it shows, like, how heavily they rely on the top four defense. And, and this this doesn't have to do, oh, it was an overtime game. They scored again within the first few minutes. So, it's not like these are – these are this is a regular game. If, if you're a regular game and you're Joel Edmondson and you're playing 29 minutes, that's a heavy workload. And it's not like these guys are a Duncan Keith or a Brian Campbell or a Scott Niedermeyer who just go around and it's effortless to skate. These are hard minutes that these guys are playing. And it just goes to show you, A, how well in shape they are. They're obviously like very, very, very in tune. And just the amount of confidence that these coaches have in these guys that they can just put them out. Because when you're looking down the bench and you're a D coach and you see, okay, Weber's completely gassed. He just came off from a minute and a half shift and I got to put him out again because I'm not putting out Marilyn Gustafson because they didn't play in the third period. They didn't play in the second half of the second period. It, it was mostly a four D man game. And I've been in that situation. I've been Marilyn Gustafson and it <laughs> I was is going to say, which one were you? No, no, I've been in the bottom half of that. And it is so demoralizing when you're sitting there super fresh, you're ready to go. You haven't made a mistake. You've played fairly well. And the guy beside you is sucking wind. Like he's just ran a marathon and the coach taps him on the shoulder. And be like, are you, can you go? Are you okay? Can you, can you go please? 
and he just jumps over the boards and he's completely wiped out and he's just struggling. He's straight legging it the whole way in the shift. When that coach trusts that guy who is 30% and you're a hundred percent ready to go, it's game six. It says a lot about how much confidence the coach has in you, or it just says how really good these four D men are. And it's, it's really impressive to watch. It's just, it's old school. In the in the days of we're rolling six D, we're rolling four four lines. We're gonna get everybody incorporated, and they're just saying, you know what? We have four really good defensemen, and if you're gonna beat us, you're gonna have to go through these four guys. I'm not gonna get caught out there, mind you. Like happened to win it, or to Vegas, excuse me. When you watch, whenever there's sustained pressure or a chance against, there's a good chance it's White Cloud and Holden on the ice, because those two guys got exposed a lot more than the other four did. And maybe Vegas should have taken a page out of Montreal because goodness gracious, whenever I looked up and there was a grade a chance or a player getting behind a defenseman or a defenseman making a bad play, it was Holden or white cloud. And, or was it, is it, it's white cloud, correct? Yep. And I'm just like, why are they out there during this situation? I don't understand it. And you never saw that happen with Montreal. You never looked up and you go, Oh, Merrill got burned on that one. Well, he's stapled to the bench. The coach knows you know, who is really strong defensemen are. And I was, wasn't as strong as the other defensemen. I totally understood that. Yes, it was a hit to my ego, but you get the situation. This is game six of the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm not going to go out there when I got Shea Weber sitting beside me. I totally get it. The guy's a cup winner, not a cup winner, a gold medal winner. He's been through it all. Put Shea Weber out there. You know what I mean? He's a Norris winner. I, I totally get it. I, I'm not going to be too proud. And that coach for Vegas, I don't know who their D coach is. Maybe he made a few mistakes because, boy, oh, boy, those guys did get exposed. Not a lot, but whenever they were out there, it was like, ooh, that doesn't look good. And I want to touch on one more thing about defensemen. We had Shane Knighty on yesterday. Before the show, we were casually talking. I'm not going to out anybody or get Shane in trouble, but we were just talking about what's going on with Vegas. And he did mention, he's like, listen, there's a few guys who aren't playing up to their contract and they're completely different players this year as compared to last year. He didn't name names. We didn't get into it, but I'll bet my bottom dollar. He was talking about Shea Theodore because he was a shell of himself. This whole series, he wasn't the Shea Theodore that we saw last year. He wasn't even the Shea Theodore we saw earlier in this season when he's running and gunning. He wasn't the Shea Theodore. You talked about being a Norris contender. He was a completely different player. He was out of position all the time. All those breakaways Montreal got. If you go look back, Shea's playing too wide. He's not covering the middle. He's pinching and he's getting caught. A lot of those chances were because he was be, either being A, too aggressive, or B, lazy and being caught out of position. So that, that that's a huge factor. When you have Holden and White Cloud, who are good defensemen, but not great, and you got your number 1A, Shea Theodore, who you just rely on to be this horse to go out there and do the power play, do the penalty kill, join the rush, do so many dynamic things. If he's not doing that, what have I said over and over and over again? You need your defenseman to jump up in the rush, to be a part of the attack, especially when you don't have the high-end forwards. So, I don't know, we, we can go around the world of what happened with Vegas, what went wrong. I think we should talk about what went right with Montreal. Why were they so successful? What did they do? How exciting these guys were? What did you take away from just Montreal? Because arguably they outplayed them five of the six games, maybe four of the six, but they were the better team this series. They deserved to win, Tim. Yeah, I mean, Shane Knighty touched on it yesterday. What they do so well is like, especially shutting down the other team, is they're just so aggressive and they just like so well at shutting those guys down. They don't let the top guys in the other team play their game, right? They force them to make simple plays. And like you said, they don't want to. So guys like Pacioretty, Stone, William Carlson, Marcheseau can't get their game going because they're kind of playing on their heels. So Montreal just outworks the other team. They know they're not as talented 
right? Or, or at least not on paper. Like they don't have the high end skill, but they have four deep lines that can match up with anyone and they just work really hard. And obviously it doesn't hurt to have, you know, the best goaltender in the world right now between the pipes. When you do have the occasional odd man rush or the occasional slip up in your own zone, you know, he's going to back you up and make that save. So it, it's just like, I, yeah, I, I was wrong too. I mean, I, I didn't think this was going to be a sweep by any means like you did, but I certainly thought the Montreal was, was the underdog and was probably going to be eliminated. And here they are talking about them going to the World uh, Stanley Cup for the first time in whatever it was, 20 years. So it's really cool to see. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm now eagerly watching the next series to see who they're going to be playing on Monday. It is 20 years. My math isn't that strong, Tim. I'm sorry. No, it is 30 years. It's almost 30 years because it's almost 2023. And you yep. nailed it with the stars. When you when you go back and you look at the goals scored for the Vegas Golden Knights – and it's, it's not the guys who you want scoring. It's the Martinez, the Yonmarks, the Holdens, the Theodores, the Peter Angelos, the Waz, those type of players, the McNabs. Like, where are their top guys? It wasn't until game five when they had a goal from a guy who was in their top two lines. And that was Pacioretty in a 4-1 loss. Even last night, they get one from Riley Smith. Where is Carlson? Where is Marcia Stowe? Where is Stone? Where are these guys? They got one goal. One goal from a player in their top six. That's it. One goal. And his max already in a four-one loss. Even Carlson is like he's put up, some, I think, fourteen points in nineteen games, but only four or five of those are goals. The rest are assists. Like the top guys aren't scoring, like you said. It's just Look. troubling. If if you're the Vegas Golden Knights, what do you do? This was your year. You dispatched Colorado. That was that was the team, you know. That that was a matchup everyone was looking for. You come into Montreal, you're supposed to walk over. You're not even in the Stanley Cup Finals yet. What do you do? You're not going to get any better, you know. You hit the sweet spot with the salary cap, but you're able to take on some contracts with Peter Angelo. You load it up. I, I don't understand. I don't know what to do. You have two goalies who are arguably two of the top six or seven in the league. Like this was your year. It was earmarked for you. What, where do you go from here if you're Vegas? you just run it back? Like, how, how do you – I don't know. It, it's just – I'm still in shock that Montreal beat them this handily. I, I really am. Even the other day, he said, I still think Vegas is going to win, even when they I were still, down three to two. If, if they had another game tomorrow, I would be like, Vegas has to win. They're the better team. But I, I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not – I'm not looking at this the right way because – I'm obviously wrong. Montreal outplayed them. And Shane Knight, he, he, he touched on it quite a bit when we interviewed him yesterday. It's will. It's that effort factor. It's the willingness to go in there and get your nose dirty and to, to do the dirty plays, to humble yourself, to realize, well, maybe I'm not going to deke out three guys. That Mark Stone play really bothered me in game five. It I really it bothered did. me. Did it, you see his quote from last night? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll read this here. So Mark Stone, again, the captain, had no points, one shot on goal last night in their elimination game. The quote from him was, I got skunked in this series. That can happen. I'm the captain of this team. I'm the leader of this team. I take a lot of responsibility for what just occurred. Well, you should. You should take all responsibility. Every, every, every single, every bit of responsibility should fall on you. You were the reason you lost. He is the Mitch Marner of the Vegas Golden Knights right now. When you're the captain, when you're the best player, when you're the guy who steers the ship and you show up for six straight games and lay an egg, and it's not the fact that he laid an egg because you look across the ice and who's the leader of Montreal, arguably Brandon Gallagher. He's the guy on that forward unit who is the veteran. He kind of, he's the, he's the identity of the forward unit. He didn't do anything offensively. 
He, he didn't get any goals. You know what I mean? He didn't move the needle in the offensive zone. He was still super effective. He was still a guy who made an impact on the game every single night. Mark Stone was not able to humble himself enough to be like, you know what? I'm not going to be able to put up many points. I'm going to lock down defensively by this line. I'm going to go out and make a difference in, a, in, a, in, a, in another way. Instead, he goes out, he tries to do too much. Gosh, that game five goal bothered me. For whatever reason, if you haven't seen that, go back to game five. It's the third goal. Vegas is killing a penalty. Mark Stone, for whatever reason, tries to dangle two or three guys at his offensive zone blue line. So he hasn't even gained the zone yet. He turns it over. They go back the other way. Suzuki gives it, or is it Perry? Someone gives it over to Caulfield. I think it was Perry. Caulfield, goal. Stone doesn't even take a stride. He's just gliding behind Caulfield the whole time. And he could have he put a stick on him. He could have put in a little effort. If you turn the puck over, you better be damn sure you're on your horse and you're getting back. You're the first guy back. Not pouting the whole way back because you turned it over and you're just upset with yourself. They checked me. I don't want a captain like that. I don't. I really don't. If, If I'm Vegas, I am questioning my decision of giving him the C because it's, it's not working. When you want your captain, what you want out of your captain is to be a guy, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get effort. You're going to get compete level. You're going to get production. It's just, it really, it's a bad look for Mark Stone. It really, he, he, he was that all season. This is a guy who was a Selkie nominee. He put up points. Like he, he was that guy. And maybe just, for whatever reason, Montreal just frustrated and stifled him. But I don't think it's fair to say that you're not getting effort and compete from Mark Stone night in and night out. Oh, you can say that. When it's game five of the Eastern Conference Finals and you are too upset to back check on the penalty kill because you turn the puck over and then the other team scores and you break your stick because you're a big baby, it's fair to say that. It's fair to say that, Tim. You have to. And listen, I don't want to throw stones, but I am because it's completely obvious. And in turn, in turn, let's talk about the positive. I know I get people don't like me talking about the negative. How good was Cole Caulfield? Uh, Awesome. How good has this kid been? Him and Nick Suzuki are so incredible together. And Tyler Toffoli, everybody forgets about Toffoli. They are so dynamic. This guy, every single game. Did you see the quotes when him and Robin Lanner went back and forth? Kind of, yeah. Not yeah. so seriously, but Lanner's like, you know, I knew he goes high or he goes five hole. And I, I kind of baited him to go five hole and I shut the door and he, he didn't score. Most rookies would hear that and then shut their mouth. You know, that's this is a Vesna winner. This is Robin Lehner. He's he's an established goaltender in this league. And you don't want to get a beef going with him. He goes, he, he goes, no, okay, that's good. I'm glad he's singing about me. I'll go somewhere else next game. And sure enough, next game he goes over the pad. Not five hole, not top shelf. It's just <laughs> the kid's got some uh confidence. He really does. It it he's backing it up. He is totally backing it up. At this point, other than Carey Price, I would say he gets the call or the uh the consmith. You have to say. Yeah. I mean, he plays the, the entire night with a huge smile on his face, too. Like, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, he just joined this team, and here he is now going to the Stanley Cup Finals, and he's playing a huge part of it, logging some great minutes, getting the power play, scored four goals in this series, added three or four assists. Like, he's the real deal. And, uh, yeah, it's just, like, it's just fun to watch when he plays with, like, that Christmas morning joy every single night. Like, he's just so happy to be there. Just, like, it's probably contagious. So you can tell his teammates love him the way they pick him up and when they're celebrating and stuff, just, like, He's the he's new kid in town, and they absolutely adore him. So it's really cool to see, and obviously the kid's got talent for days. He is going to be a superstar in Montreal for the next decade. 
He really is. They haven't said, had someone like this. Maybe Koivu was the last guy who was small, athletic, but not he didn't have the offensive upside as Caulfield no. does. He really is. Kovalev? Kovalev was a little bit more of a sniper. So he, speaking he, – Oh, go ahead. Speaking of superstars – in Montreal, I, I was thinking last night, so they focused on Pat Ready doing the handshake line for obvious reasons. A lot of those guys were his teammates and all that. And it got me thinking about the comparison. I want to know your thoughts on this. Do you think it's a fair comparison to talk about Pat Ready and Tavares, both guys who like came up, played a decade with this franchise, their, their respective franchise, and then the other teams, the teams let, let them go, and both teams have done better since moving on from their superstar when everyone thought, it was going to be the other way around. Do you think that's a fair comparison? I think it is. I think it goes to show that you really can't put all your eggs in one basket when it comes to contracts. And you have to be very careful when you sign these big deals that you're hitching your horse to the, to the right cart that, you know, this guy's going to lead you to the promised land that he's just not one of these all show, no go type of superstars that maybe Tavares is, you know, he's a good player. He, he gets the jobs done, but boy, oh boy, Toronto really hasn't done much since they signed him, honestly. Then you look at a superstar like Kucherov, in turn, you sign him, and that guy produces in the playoffs, boy. He is an absolute animal when it comes to pressure situations. He's, he's everything you want in a superstar. You don't hear boo about him in the, in the news, and he just goes out and he drops five points a night. The guy is an absolute animal. You're, you you're going to say something, Tim. Go ahead. Yeah, well, so this is what else I noticed during um, the handshake line last night. Because I think it's like the, the guys are just so emotionally, like, they're just emotional in that moment, either happy or upset. And they just, you can learn so much, I think, from observing how they interact during the handshake line. Like, guys that really stop and talk is kind of the ultimate respect, especially among former teammates. And then some guys, just a quick handshake and on they go, right? So you kind of see, like, like Gallagher and Pacioretty had a nice moment. And Paul Byron and Pacioretty had a nice moment. Pacioretty gets to carry Price quick handshake and on they go they were clearly they were not friends they were not they were not pals and, and maybe i'm reading too much into it maybe it's just the, the emotions there but I, I thought it was an interesting observation go back and watch it did not seem like there was a ton of uh, love between those two guys oh i agree and how sweet is it for carrie price because yeah. honestly at that point montreal they they had to make some room they had to figure out which direction their team is going and they went all in on carrie price they said this is our guy we're gonna you know we're gonna roll with him for the next five to 10 years. And that meant patch couldn't be around. And so they dealt patch. They kept carry. And early on, it didn't look like a good move because patch like we said a few, uh, gosh, last week, he's played pretty well for Vegas. I don't think this is his fault. Like everybody else in Vegas, for some reason, they didn't produce in this playoff series, but he's, he's done pretty well for Vegas. So it's gotta be a sweet feeling to be like, suck it, big boy. I know <laughs> it hit the golf course. We're going to go to the Stanley cup finals, but I don't know. It, when it com- comes back to the trades and the cons- conspar- comparisons between the New York Islanders and the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens and this sort of thing, I'd like to say there's some kind of connection, but maybe it just goes, goes to show you can't invest that much money in one player. And if you do, you're really handcuffing the rest of your team, but you need that. You, you need a, I, I, th- I firmly believe you need a guy who you can go to and be like, get me a goal, go and make something happen. And you look at the Vegas Golden Knights, and I talked about this, Tim, before the season started, before the series started. The one problem with Vegas, they don't have that guy who they can say, you know what, we need something. We need you to go out and we need you to produce. And it showed. You know, their first line got shut down by Dano Gallagher and Lycanen. And, and, you know, 
Rightfully so. Those guys shut down the top players in the world. The Matthews, the, well, Shifley for a game, the Winnipeg guys, they, they shut them down. But, you know, I, I'm interested to see if they go up against Vegas, if they're able to do that versus Kucherov, if, he, if he's back. Because, like I said, he's a different animal. That team's been together for a few years. They know how to win. They've been to the summit. They, they've, you know, slayed the demons. They know how to win Stanley Cups. And we'll see. I'm not going to underestimate Montreal, but going into the Stanley Cup finals, they will be the underdog. They will be the team that's like, okay, well, the odds will be against them. So it, it's just interesting. Uh, who, I don't know. I don't want to beat a dead horse with how bad Vegas produced. Let's talk about another player for Vegas who played well, who played well this series, Alex Martinez. He, I would say out of all the Vegas defensemen, he was their number two guy. Peter Angelo, he came in, he produced. He was a really good defense, don't you think? What are you smiling Peter, about? P- Peter who? Peter Angelo. <laughs> Petrangelo. What is wrong with me? Why <laughs> I do I know. butcher everybody's names? I don't know. You've been saying that for weeks, and we've gotten some tweets about it, and I just let it slide because I don't want to interrupt. But yeah, well, to our listeners, I'm not doing it on purpose. I really am sorry. If it bothers you, Petrangelo? Petrangelo. Petrangelo. Yeah. Petrangelo. Whatever it is, I'm going to call him. What's his first name? Alex? Alex, yeah. Alex and Alex. So Alec, Alec Martinez. The whole <laughs> thing, John. <laughs> Alex was their best defenseman. You know, he he lived up to his contract. He was he was he was a really good defenseman. And their second defenseman was Alec Martinez. He was really good. And now coming into this offseason, he's gonna be a free agent tip. Did you know that? Sure is. We're do you think he's licking his chops right now going into this free agency? Because it's a flat cap, but the one thing teams always need is defensive help. It shows every season, every playoff series, every time there's a trade deadline, all the top players up there are all defensemen. Savard was the number one trade deadline pickup, which is bizarre. He's just like a shutdown demon. He's like a Radko Gudis. So when he's number one on the trade deadline pickup list, you know teams need defense. And now you got Alec Martinez, a Stanley Cup champion. He had a career year this year where he puts up 32 points in 53 games, so his offensive game is there. What does he get? I, it's too early to find out where he goes just because of the flat cap. We don't know what teams are going to do once the season's over around the draft. What, how much is he going to get? He made $4 million this year. Just give me a ballpark number. Where do you think he lands? Really quick. Uh, yeah, I, I have f- between five and six, maybe. I, I mean, he is, he is 33 years old, so it's hard to say, like, how many years he's going to get. But someone will give him three or four years at that price. And he won't be worth it in, in two or three years, but he'll be worth it now. And that's just the cost of signing the best defenseman on the market, you know? It's a cost. Well, he might not be the best defenseman on the market. There's a little guy named Dougie Hamilton in Carolina right now who has been given permission, Tim. Just go, go, and, go and see what's out there, Doug. Go and play the field a little bit. Go see if you want to find another date. There's been lots of information, like connections with him in Toronto. Does that make sense with Dougie Hamilton? I know I'm kind of switching gears. Do you see him going to Toronto? Does that make sense? Apparently, he wants a big, big uh, new contract, upwards of seven, eight million dollars. <laughs> there's no room for that in Toronto right now. Seven. There's no room for seven, eight hundred thousand, let alone seven, eight million. <laughs> So is there any chance that he goes to Toronto or is just everybody linked to Toronto as soon as they're going to become a free agent? 
Maybe they are, but he has been linked, and, and reportedly he wants a Petrangelo comparison for his contract. Petrangelo made 8.8, so maybe he's looking in the 8 you know, range. Others are saying he should be looking more at a Tory Krug contract, which is 6.5. Maybe that's more of a better comparison for him. I think he's probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, yeah, I mean, Toronto, I, I can't understand wanting to move on from Morgan Riley at $5 million to go sign Dougie Hamilton, when honestly, I think Toronto needs is like, toughness and greediness and leadership and Dougie Hamilton is not any of those things he's a super talented guy I think he makes that rocker room even softer even smaller I no, he's not the right fit for them I hope they don't sign him actually I hope they do (laughs) yeah I don't think they will it's always fun to to kind of bring Toronto into every free agent that's on the market but I don't think they're going to get him I don't think they're going to get Seth Jones I think I I don't know Toronto I think will have a very uninteresting offseason maybe they make one move I don't think they trade anybody I think they're kind of stamp pat. They'll maybe add a couple more veterans. Like they already re-signed Spezza. They'll try to retool their third and fourth line. I don't think Dubas makes a high impact move. That's that's. I don't know. I don't want to talk about Toronto anymore. Okay, there's another game tonight, Tim. It's a game seven. Islanders Lightning. After an eight nothing drubbing, the Islanders come back, cool, calm, and collected. Go to overtime, much like. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights and Montreal Canadiens did last night, two to two. Anthony Beauvillier cashes it in again, Tim, in the first five minutes. In the first am, two minutes. First two minutes. I am partially done my list of overtime goals, and I'm going through from the beginning. There are so many. I've already counted six, and I'm not even through the first round. Overtime goals within the first five minutes. So there's a lot of them. And I'm going I'm to do a whole thesis on this. I feel like it's a... It's a mental mindset. And there's a whole, there's a whole thing I'm going to do, Tim. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be oh, a, a five wait. five show special. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, so that forces a game seven. Those two games could not have been more different. Eight nothing, three two in overtime. The same players, no goaltender changes. The same group of cast. It just goes to show you how hockey is such a great sport. It's unlike any other sport. I don't want to beat that drum again. The big question here is Kucherov. Tim, you're the NHL insider. You're doing interviews on your own now, by the way, to our listeners. Tim's getting calls and emails from people to go on their shows. That's how, that's how big Tim is right now. He, he's left dropping the gloves in the dust. Now he's, he's a, some, some kind of analyst. You want to talk about that, Tim? How your head's getting pretty big. You can't walk through the door all of a sudden. Am I a celebrity? I really can't say, but yes, I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, Kucherov right now, unofficially they're saying that he, there's no news on him. John Cooper said yesterday morning that he had no update on him. We haven't heard anything yet this morning. So I hope he plays, obviously. I mean, he's he's the best player on that team. He took a brutal cross check. I forget who did it, Mayfield maybe, but Mayfield, right? yeah. Yeah, right under the the back of the shoulder pad, where there's, there's the side of the rib cage. There's no padding there. Um, I'm sure he's got a broken rib, and that's the kind of thing that you know, with a good cortisone shot, and people play through with it at this time of year. So, and he's a, he's a tough guy. So maybe he'll be, hopefully, he'll be in tonight. Because I, I mean, I don't know how much how much of a difference does he really make whether on this game if he's there in the lineup or not. Oh, just a tiny amount. Just, 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 a, he's just a nobody, Tim. You know, he only has 27 points in 16 games. I'm not even counting last game as a game because he played one shift for Pete's sake. You know, just, just a little bit. He just drives their power play in their first line and everything about that team. 
He's a massive piece of that team. If he's not there, the Islanders are going to win this series. Even if he is there, the Islanders still have a really good chance to win this series because I don't know if you've noticed, but hockey players aren't the most forgiving kind of person out there. And do you think Mayfield, when he sees Kucherov again, and he's got a busted rib, he's going to go, oh, I better not hit him there. Oh, boy, that guy's going to be a target boy. He is just going to get hammered every face-off, every scrum, every hit, every time he has the puck, every time he's on the ice, those guys are going to be targeting that side of his, of his body. And they should. He's their best player. If you can somehow get him out of the game, doing something clean or maybe not so clean, you you got to do it. You have to. So he, he's going to be laboring whether he's in the lineup or not. And I think that injury is the downfall of the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think the New York Islanders win and they go on and it will be a Montreal, New York Islanders Stanley Cup final. I have a question about the Kucherov thing. <clears throat> I mean, I, I know you talked about that before where there's an injury and, and everyone kind of just will give him little elbows and stick taps in that area all game long to make it miserable for him. Is that something like the coaches will actually say or do the players just kind of understand it and they do it on their own? No, no. Coaches say it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, this is a seven-game series. This is, this is like a, a war. And anytime you get an edge on a player, especially one as impactful as Kucherov, you, you do it. The coach will come up to me like, listen, Kucherov is hurt. It's his right rib. We got to lean on him. We got to get in there. We got to get under his shoulder pads. Do whatever you can to make him uncomfortable. That goes for broken hands. That goes for feet. That goes for any kind of injury. Even in scrums, if a guy's got stitches, I guarantee you, if I'm playing against Corey Perry and he's got stitches across the nose, I'm facial washing that guy every single time. I'm opening up those stitches. I'm forcing him to leave the game. Anything I can to get under these guys' skin. And if you don't do that, you're not doing it right. You have to do whatever you can to win the game. And if you're one of these people who's like, well, that's not fair, then you just beat it. I don't like you. Like you have to do whatever you can to win the game. Obviously there's things that you can't do. Like you're not going to kill somebody, but everything up to that, I think is fair game. Honestly, why not? Why not? He's got a busted rib. Are you not going to hit him? Are you not going to get get in there? And you, you, you know, someone's weakness you have to, and you're darn right. The coaches are telling you to go after that guy. Mind you, if it's a, if it's a Barkley Goodrow or Blake Coleman, who's got that injury, maybe it's not a big of a deal. This is Nikita Kucherov. This is the MVP of the league. This is the Conn Smythe favorite. This is the guy who has 27 points in 16 games. This is the guy who was an absolute stud who didn't play the whole season and walked into these playoffs after a year out and was the best player on the ice. So this isn't some Joe Schmo. This is their guy. So you better believe the coaches are saying, you better get in this guy's grill. You better punch him in the ribs, hack him in the ribs. Every every scrum, every chance you get, you drive you drive him into the boards. What's the slap shot of uh, the guy where he pees himself? He's like, I'm gonna. Anyways, let's. <laughs> but yes, coaches do say that they do make a difference, and they will tell you to go out and do that. I think you'd be a bad coach if you didn't say that. So that being said, who do you think wins this game? You, are you still on the Tampa Bay bandwagon with or without Kucherov? I mean, bandwagon. I'm not on the bandwagon, but yeah, I think they're a better team, and I think they win tonight. I just, when it comes down to game sevens, I just, I would, I would like to think the better team's going to win. Vasilevsky's a better goalie. Yeah, I, I still like the Lightning. You know, the, I, I would say still on paper, they probably have the most talent, but boy, oh boy, what team deals with adversity more than the New York Islanders? It seems like every game they're down, 
they're always coming from behind and they somehow manage to get the tying goal, get the winning goal, push it to overtime. They just seem to have an answer for everything. And I think in a game seven, in this type of situation, you need to have that kind of grit. And our Tampa Bay's, they have it, but the Islanders, for some reason, I don't know what it is. Maybe they did. They just want it a little more. Tampa Bay won it last year. Tampa Bay is playing great. I still am on the Islanders. I think it's going to be Islanders, Montreal Finals. And I bet you, out of everyone in the whole world, not one person predicted this finals at the beginning of the season. Not a chance in the world to pick the Islanders and the Montreal Canadiens to match up in the Stanley Cup Finals. You'd, you'd have People would call you crazy if you predict that at the beginning of the season. I, I called the New York Rangers, for Pete's sake. Not the New York Islanders. You want to bet some breakfast on Game 7 tonight? I already buy you breakfast this week. By yeah, the way. You, you owed me a few, though. So yeah, you, you've, This is the problem with betting with Tim. He owes me like five breakfasts, and I owed him like two. And I bought him breakfast this week, and now he's already saying I owe him another one. When there is a fact that he owes me so many more than I owe him. And well, I'm not going to see we're him. even now. Exactly. This is what I mean. So there's no point betting with him. I bet him $50. I paid you right away that $50. So I'm just saying, you owe me a breakfast or two, my friend. And All right, well, come pick me up because I can't drive. I, brought, I drove you this week. I drove you yesterday to breakfast. It's just... It's that was a business much. expense. It's too much. It's always a business expense. Oh, my <laughs> word. So, yes, I still like the Islanders. I still like the way they're built. Varlamov bounced back from that 8 nothing shellacking. He's, play, he's been playing really well. They're just a good team, Tim. They really are. They get up and down the ice. They have three lines who are really dangerous offensively. Then they have their identity line. Bah, bah, bah. The identity line. They go up there. bodies. What is the... Is that the worst name for a line in the NHL, the identity line? What does it mean? It's just That's the identity of a team is their Apparently, fourth line? It is, but no no other line plays like them. So it doesn't make sense. Like no other – I like the perfection line. I think that's a good name for Boston. The There's Merlot couple, line, remember them? The Merlot line, the HBK line. There's been a couple around, but the perfection line I think is kind of cool. And they're, they're so good. You know what my my favorite line ever was? The Senators, like 15 years ago, with Spezza between Heatley and Alfredson. Oh, that was so cool to watch. Those guys were so, so good. I Remember you, that? I thought this was going to come with, like, a name of the line. No, I don't have a name of the line. I'm just, I'm just talking about hockey lines now. Well, that was a waste. But, yeah, <laughs> they were a good line, Tim. You know what? I, I, was, I was just researching Stanley Cups and when Canadian teams have won it. How many times Montreal? Montreal's obviously won the most cups in the NHL. I think they're at 23. Toronto's won 13, which is amazing with Toronto. Here's the here's the fun stat. Ottawa's won 11 Stanley Cups. Toronto's won 13. Ottawa won their Stanley Cups from 1917 when the NHL was in, in, started to 1934 when that team just, they left. I don't know what happened to them. So they won 11 Stanley Cups in 17 years. Then they fell off the face of the earth for 60 years. And they came back in 92, 93 area. And now Ottawa's back. They've won 11 Stanley Cups. Toronto's been in the NHL for 100 plus years, and they've only won 13. So they didn't have that 60-year break that Ottawa had. I just thought that was kind of funny. Where they both started at the same time. Ottawa took a 60-year break. Toronto did not. And they still are within two, two Stanley Cups of each other. It's kind of funny. 
Well, even like in the last in the two thousands, all of those teams have been to the Stanley Cup except for Toronto, who hasn't been since nineteen sixty seven. Like yeah. even Calgary, Edmonton, Ottawa, Vancouver, they've all been there, and obviously Montreal's going now. It's just crazy to think about. Just how are they not gotten back? And now they can't get out of the first round. Oh, it's just we're we're back to talking about Toronto. But and then I also saw how exciting was it? And my parents were there during this time. They said it was an absolute riot in Alberta from 84, 85, not 86, 87, 88, 89, 90. Of those seven years, six of the Stanley Cups were in Alberta. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. And this isn't the original six. This isn't like 10 teams in the league. There's, I, I would imagine, 28 teams in the league at this point. Like, there's this, that's never going to happen again. That would be like California getting a run of six cups in seven years, just of those three teams. Never going to happen. Anaheim, San Jose, LA, and you're adding a team. Like, it's just remind New York. Have they ever had a run of this way where New Jersey, New York, and New York get six or seven? It's just, it's really Boston remarkable. Did that. Boston, Boston did that. Boston didn't win six cups in seven years. Maybe the whole area. All the championships. Yeah. Good luck, Boston, in the next 20 years. You're not going to win nothing. Red Stocks are garbage. The Celtics are a disaster. The Bruins are trending downward. And who's the other team? The Patriots? They are they stink. They stink now, Tim. They're not going to win a championship that whole area for another 10 years. Who do you That's think it. wins the next championship? Boston or Toronto? Toronto. Raptors? Blue, Blue Jays. Jays. Blue Jays. Vlad Guerrero Jr. So good. Absolute animal i use animal a lot when i you know describe people i don't know why but he's a beast at at the plate he he crushes home runs he absolutely tears the label off the ball but they have other they need some relief pitching that's toronto's problem right now they have no relief pitching so if they go watch some baseball i think pardon me it is it's terrible so if they shore that up a little bit their starting pitching has been okay they have a dynamic offense they really do and bregman hasn't even played so once he gets back on the field, they're, they're big – or Springer, excuse me. They're big off-season acquisition. Toronto's yep. going to be – they already are. But they don't have to deal with Boston because they're trash. They're, the Yankees are okay. Tampa Bay is always good. Tampa Bay is really good. I don't know why we're talking about baseball. But anyways, moving on. We'll get some quick hits. So Gretzky's going to TNT. Yep. They went up – ESPN got Mark Messier. What do you think about this hire – why do they keep going back to these guys? I know they're Hall of Famers. I know. What do you think of this hire? Because Messi hasn't really done much TV. He hasn't really done any analytics. Do you think he'll be good? Uh, I don't know if he'll be good, but I, I think it'll be good to watch just because, like, you know the personality. You know the player. He's obviously well-known in the hockey community. He's, he's a popular He's a popular figure, right? Even among people who didn't weren't even really old enough to watch him play. Like, everyone knows him, so... I think people will tune in to see what he has to say, and then maybe he'll surprise us. I hope he's I – mean, he can't be worse than Gretzky, right? So I think he'll be – I think he'll be good. I have a fun little story about him. When I got traded to the Rangers, he was a coach there. And so I got to hang out with him. I got to interact with him just because he would skate with the guys who wouldn't play. So come playoffs, I was with him every day. And one of the most surreal moments of my life was when we were playing two-on-two, three-on-three with the extras. He was on my team. And – it was me and him coming down into two on one and I fed him the puck. He's on the off wing, top of the circle, Mark Messier. Anytime he scored a goal, you can picture it leg kick over the far pad in the net. It was just unbelievable. I was just like, that's insane. That just, just happened to me because every goal you see of Messier, 
It's top of the circle. He's on his offside wing. He's taking a snapper. It's going over the pad of the goalie, far side post, and he raises both hands and he skates around the net. And that's what he did. It was so incredibly cool. It was just one of those moments I'll never forget. Then I got him a jersey, signed it for me. It was just really cool. It was just really neat. He's a nice guy. I think he'll do well. I don't know. Like, I I hope people don't expect him to go up there and be like uh, a Charles Barkley type of person or Shaquille O'Neal on TNT, whatever they do. He's not that type of guy. He's very composed. He's very serious. He's very smart, which will be good. But I just don't. Is it going to be good TV? I don't know. Maybe I'm just butthurt because they didn't call me. And I, and I think I do. I just a bang up job out there, but anyways, good for Mark. You, he really you want him to call you just so that you can say no. He, he's, just, it wouldn't be me who would be saying no. It'd be my wife. <laughs> I'd be like, honey, yeah. I got a job with ESPN. She's like, Oh, can we do it from our basement? No, I got to move <laughs> to Connecticut. No, we're not doing it. Okay. All right. never mind. Tell ESPN. No, no, I'll, I don't want the millions. I'm sorry. I got to stay home. If I can do it from my basement, I'll do it. Oh no. Okay. But good for Mark Messi. He needs it. You know, he he only has five Stanley Cups, six Stanley Cups. He he's he needs it. He really he has six Stanley Cups, Mark Messi. It's a lot of cups. That's pretty good. It's not bad. All right. So the new franchise, the Seattle Kraken, they hired a coach. Dave Haskell. Hacks Hackstall. Dave Hackstall, Jim Duggan. That's his new name on the show. If he ever is relevant again. I don't know. Coach for the Flyers. You've been Toronto's assistant for the last few years. Any any uh, comment on this? Because I don't really, I don't know. He's a coach. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know anything about him. He had a, a record above NHL 500 with the Flyers. And and what I did hear is that he was really good with um, Toronto's penalty kill and defenseman, which was kind of their, their bright, star, bright spot statistically this year. It's where they did really well. So I don't know. I, I don't think anyone was too excited. Most people were surprised by this pick. I think Tockett was the front runner, at least among popular opinion. But yeah, yeah. we'll see how he does. Gary our Mike Babcock was kind of thrown around. He's coaching Saskatchewan College still. All right. Anyways, um, Ico update, Tim. Anything? Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets are out on him. So Anaheim still believed to be a front runner. We've seen a lot of rumors about the packages, but obviously a lot of teams are still going to be in on him. Flyers, Rangers, LA Kings. I think those guys are all still there. So hopefully he gets traded soon because it'll be fun and entertaining to see what they get for him. Every time someone says package, I g- I giggle. Do you? I do. I don't know why. But I'm glad glad Columbus is out. It's a smart move from them. They're not anywhere near being competitive on that team. They need to, if they're moving on from Seth Jones, which it looks like they are, they can't acquire Jack Eichel. It just doesn't make sense to me. They need to retool. They need to kind of figure out what type of team they want to be. And Jack Eichel, gosh, if he went to Columbus, it would be another Buffalo situation. And he would be miserable. It wouldn't work out. He would not resign. So good for him. Get him in a sexy spot. The Rangers, the Kings, Anaheim would be okay. It'd be, I, I don't know. I, I like Jack Eichel. I wanted to see him go somewhere where he, he, he can shine. He can get that helmet off, let that fro go, and just have some fun, you know? Just mix it up a little bit. All right. Another news story, Seth Jones. Tim, any updates on that? Uh, yeah. So, basically, Elliot Friedman reported he's most likely to be moved at the draft, which is not too far away. And right now, the Flyers are believed to be the front runners there. Um, so they, they also have some cap issues themselves. They probably have to move a couple pieces around, but Seth Jones is the guy that I think will probably end up in Philadelphia. That would be nice. Their defense was just atrocious this off season or this season. Excuse me. We talked about it already with uh, James Van Riemsdyk. So that'll be nice. Well, it'll be interesting to kind of follow that story. Anyways, everybody, 
Go out, watch Game 7 tonight. It's a big one. We'll talk to you again on Monday. I hope everybody has a good weekend. Thank you for the support. Go drop a five-star on the reviews anywhere you listen to this. It really helps the show. It honestly does. It gives us a little boost. So have a good weekend, everybody. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 